Turn your Bibles this morning. We're going to be starting in the book of Titus. Titus chapter 2. And as you're turning there, talking to a gentleman and he was talking about his work and he said the other day, he said his boss told him to have a good day. He said he immediately turned off his computer and went home. I was talking to Charlie earlier. He said when he was younger, he used to stay up all night wondering where the sun went until one day it just dawned on him. Right, Charlie? <laughs> Anyhow, how many of you have know the name John Newton? How many know who John Newton is? If you paid really close attention to one of the songs we sang this morning, you would see it. Amazing Grace, right? That's right. He was a preacher. John Newton was a preacher, but he was most well-known for his beloved hymn, Amazing Grace. No, Charlie, he didn't invent the fig Newton. John Newton, Amazing Grace. John Newton was born to a godly mother but unfortunately a very, very wicked father. His father was a sailor, but his mother died when he was only six years old. At the ripe old age of 11, I want you to think about that, the ripe age of 11, he took up his father's trade as a sailor. And unfortunately also his traits, as he'd followed in his father's wicked footsteps. Before long, he was in the middle of the slave market, buying and selling human beings. Over time, his life spiraled downward in sin. He sunk lower and lower until he himself became a slave. For two years, he literally ate scraps off the ship's floor. One day, a group of sailors, they saw him eating the scraps off the ship's floor, felt sorry for him, and gave him a book called The Imitation of Christ. Out of mocking and just slightly out of interest, he began to read that book. Not long, it began to tug at his heart. And it began to convict him of his sin. And soon, not long after he began reading that book, a very violent storm arose and hit the ship that he was sailing on. And he was on the deck and a giant wave came and just took him right off the deck and took him right out to sea. Completely helpless, completely hopeless, he cried out from those waves and said, Lord, help me. Out of nowhere, John Newton, this is all from his biography. Out of nowhere, Newton writes, that a wave lifted him up and put him right back on that ship's deck. Newton knew without a shadow of a doubt that that was the hand of God. And he immediately humbled his heart and accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and his Savior. So when we sing that beautiful hymn, Amazing Grace, we need to understand 
that we are singing John Newton's life story and his testimony. Amazing grace. And this morning I want to spend our time looking a little closer into that amazing grace. God's amazing grace. Let's look in Titus chapter 2, skip down to verse 11. It says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, his own peculiar people, zealous for good works. Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. Now, let me start by making one quick observation when we're reading through these these verses here. First, to those who are born again, to those who are saved, we can see our spiritual biography, so to speak, right here in these verses. But also to those who are not saved, I pray that you see your spiritual possibility in these verses. Amen? For those that are saved, this is our spiritual biography, but those who are unsaved, this is your spiritual possibility. And the first thing I want us to see this morning, I want us to consider what grace brought. Right in verse 11, it says, for the grace of God that brings what? Salvation. Amen? For the grace of God that brings salvation, what did God's grace bring? It brought salvation. To be saved, to be born again, that comes to us only by what? God's grace. Plain and simple. By God's grace. Now, to who does it come to? It says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to who? To all men. What does all mean? All means all, and that's all that all means. God's grace brings salvation to every single person. Not just a handful, not just, you know, there's doctrines about election. The Bible very clearly tells us that it brings salvation to all men, all mankind. You know, in Christian circles, in in church circles, we hear this word salvation all the time. But the question is, Why do we need to be saved in the first place? You know, we hear salvation, we talk about salvation. Why do we need to be saved? Let's go over to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. First thing we need to be saved, let's look at verse 1. And you he made alive who were what? Dead in trespasses and sins. First reason that we need to be sal- we need salvation is because we are spiritually dead. Amen. We are dead in our trespasses and our sins. 
Apart from Jesus Christ, we are slaves to our sins. We are spiritually dead, the Bible tells us. Physical death, that is the separation of our soul from our physical body. That's bad enough, but spiritual death, when we talk about spiritual death, that is much worse. Spiritual death is when our soul is eternally separated from a loving, holy, and righteous God forever and ever. That's spiritual death. Completely separated from a loving, holy God. Separated from the light of God for eternity. We need to understand that death is never annihilation. You know, there's a lot of beliefs out there about death, and, and people will tell you, ah, oh, death is just, you know, that's it. It's complete annihilation. It's complete destruction. But it's not. That is not death. Amen? Now, I also wanna, want everyone to understand that being saved does not mean eternal existence either. And I want you to listen closely. Death is not annihilation, and being saved does not, uh, the definition does not mean eternal existence. If you are saved, your soul will be alive in eternity in the glory of heaven. No doubt about that, correct? It's what the Bible tells us. That's what we believe. When we are saved, when we die, our soul will be alive for eternity in the glories of heaven. Now, if we're not saved... If an unsaved person dies, their soul will also exist for eternity. Amen? This is what the Bible tells us. Their soul will also exist for eternity. However, their soul will exist for eternity in the torments of hell. In the torments and the flames of hell. So a newsflash. Elvis still exists. It's just a matter of where, amen, right? We see all the tabloids, Elvis is alive. Yeah, he is. The question is where? Saved or unsaved, we all have eternal existence. God created our soul to exist for eternity. We have to understand that. But everlasting life comes only through Jesus Christ. Through the grace of God. John chapter 10 verse 10. You know Jesus told us. He said the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. That is Satan's motive. He says but I have come that we may have life and that we may have it what? Abundantly. More abundantly. And he wasn't just talking about on the other side of eternity. He's talking about immediate. When we are saved, it's an immediate possession. Amen? When we're saved, we don't have to wait for eternity. We're saved immediately. It's an immediate possession. And we, at that very moment, in Jesus Christ, we have abundant life. And we also have eternal life through Christ. Amen? So that is the first reason that we need uh, uh, salvation. The second is that we are of the devil. Going back to Ephesians 2. So verse 1, he says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Verse 2, 
in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Who is the prince of the power of the air? That's Satan, right? That's the devil himself. Apart from Jesus Christ, we are in Satan's grip. Amen? We are under Satan's control. We are under his rule. And that's what verse 2 is telling us. In which we once walked before Christ according to the course of this world, the flesh, the world, and according to the prince of the power of the air. We walked with Satan himself. Amen? Listen to what Jesus said about Satan and about us. He said, you are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. So apart from Jesus Christ, that's who we are. Amen? You say, well, I've never killed anybody. I wasn't a murderer. What did Jesus say when he magnified the law? He said, if you hate someone, then you've already done what? You've committed murder in your heart. Have we ever hated somebody? Yeah, we're all guilty of that, right? So we're all murderers. You ever told a lie? Yeah, we're all liars. So what Jesus was describing is perfectly true apart from Jesus Christ. We are of the devil. So we are dead and we're devilish. The third reason we need salvation, the rest of verse 2 in Ephesians, he said, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of what? Disobedience. So we were dead, spiritually dead. We are devilish and we are also disobedient. We are all sinners and we've all broken the law of God. Amen? Romans 3.23 tells us that we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 For the wages of sin is what? Is death. The wages of sin is death. Because of our devilish disobedience as sinners, we are spiritually dead. And if that weren't enough, we also have a depraved nature. Look at verse 3 in Ephesians 2. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as all the others. That's talking about our depraved nature. Now, what does depraved mean? We've probably heard that term before in church, talking about the depravity of mankind, our depraved nature. But what does depraved mean? Anyone know? It means morally corrupt. Morally corrupt. Wicked. 
perverted. All those things falls into that depraved uh, definition. We all have a sinful nature. Where did we get it from? We inherited it from our parents. Sorry, Mom. Right? We all inherited our sinful nature from our parents, and they inherited it from their parents and their parents from their parents, and so on and so on, all the way back to who? Adam and Eve, the very first parents. Amen? All the way back to Adam and Eve. It doesn't matter our culture. It doesn't matter our wealth. It doesn't matter our influence. It doesn't matter, you know, our external factors. We are all born sinners by nature. Apart from Jesus Christ, we are depraved. We are disobedient. We are devil-like. And we are spiritually dead. Amen? Praise God. The message doesn't stop there. Amen. We'd be in pretty, pretty bad shape. Praise God, that is not the end of the message. So now let's start looking at the good stuff in Ephesians chapter 2. All right, now we see our true nature. We see why we need salvation. Let's get into the good stuff, verse 4. But God. Underline that in your Bible. Those two words. We see all that bad stuff, and then it just says, but God, right? But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Isn't that wonderful? By grace, we have been saved. We were dead in our trespasses. And then we were made alive in Christ Jesus. The question is, how? How? How do you raise someone from the dead? How do you raise up a dead person? Do you do it by example? Do we parade ourselves in front of them and and show them what it's like to be alive? Will that raise up a dead person? It's never worked before, and I don't think it ever will. Amen? Absolutely not. Obviously not. So we can't raise a dead person by example. That won't work. How about by education then? We can read to them, and, and we can present them with endless information. What if we give them the best education that this world has to offer? That'll raise them from the dead, won't it? No. Education won't raise the dead either. All right, so not by example, not by education. How about by encouragement? That's got to work, right? What if we were nothing but positive around them 24-7, and we did nothing but promote their self-worth? What if we just play, you know, self-help and motivational podcasts and CDs to them 24-7? That's got to work, right? Nope. It's going to fail also. Being encouraging cannot raise the dead. So I give you all these ways, you know, by example, by encouragement, by education, Because those are the ways of the world. 
Amen? That's what the world says will work. They will tell you that, you know, all we have to do is be a good person. And you all go to heaven after you die. Isn't that the message of this world? Right? Being a good person. You know, promote education, promote encouragement, self-worth. You know, lead each other by example in being a good person and, and everyone will follow you right to heaven. Remember what God said. We are what? Spiritually dead. None of those ways of the world will work. Being a good person or any other way cannot raise a dead person. Amen? There is only one person that can raise the dead, and that is no one but God. Amen? That simple little phrase. And this is not the only place that you'll see that phrase, but God, in the Bible. That is a great homework for you this week. Look up all the but gods. But this is one of the great ones. No one but God. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, we have been saved. We cannot save ourselves any more than a dead person can bring himself back to life. Amen? Because we ourselves are spiritually dead. Salvation does not come through merit. We cannot earn our way to, to heaven. We can't earn our way to heaven by being a good person. Salvation comes right here only through the grace of God, through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? By grace are we saved through faith in Jesus Christ alone. We need to understand salvation is not a reward for the righteous. You know, sometimes we as Christians, we get up on our high horse and, and we walk around as if salvation was a reward for the righteous. It absolutely is not. What is salvation? It is simply God's gift to the guilty, us. Amen? It is God's free gift to the guilty. It is not a reward for the righteous. God's grace has brought salvation to the sinner. Praise God for that. So the second thing I want us to look at is consider what grace taught. Let's go back to Titus chapter 2. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men... Verse 12, doing what? Teaching us. What did grace, what is it taught? Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. So in a nutshell, what has great taught us? It taught us sanctification. That's what verse 12 is talking about. Denying ungodliness and worldly lust, separating ourselves apart from the world, the ungodliness, the flesh, 
the world and Satan, separating ourselves from those things, and living soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. That is sanctification. Being saved by grace, we have to understand, is not a license to sin. Amen? Too many walk around thinking that it is. I, I can do whatever, you know, and, and, and God's grace, he saved me. I'm forgiven. And it is true. The blood of Christ does forgive our sins in the past, our present sins, and our future sins. But it is not a license to sin. The Apostle Paul, he said in, in Romans 6, 1, he said, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He said, absolutely, certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Amen? Being saved does not mean that we can live any way that we want to. The moment we are saved, we graduate from law school. We're no longer under the law. We graduate from law school, and we get promoted to grace school amen from law school to grace school and one great thing about grace school is it never closes there's never recess there's never summer vacation amen under grace there is nothing to earn but there is a whole lot for us to learn amen nothing to earn but a whole lot for us to learn that is discipleship. You know, we hear that word a lot in church and in Christian circles, discipleship. This is discipleship, learning to live for Christ under grace. That's discipleship 101, learning to live for Christ under grace. So sanctification, when we talk about sanctification, we need to understand that although salvation is immediate possession— Sanctification is a lifelong progression. Amen? It is lifelong progression. We don't just get saved and immediately we, we start living Christ-like, do we? <laughs> no, it's not quite that way. It's a work in progress over time. You know, someone may say, you know, sometimes the things you do, the things you say, make me wonder if you're even saved. And then you've thought the same thing about them. Amen? Why? Because sanctification is a work in progress. Right? We're not perfected in Christ immediate, uh, the moment that we get saved. Sanctification takes time. You know, someone may say that about you and you thought that about someone else. Why? That's because God is not finished working on any of us yet. Amen? Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he, Christ, who has begun a good work in you, will complete it, until the day of Jesus Christ. Did you catch that? He will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. That means God is working on us how often? Every single day. 
That's sanctification. Learning to live for Christ every single day under grace. That's what it's all about. We don't get our sanctification certificate until when? On the other side of eternity. Amen? We will not be perfect and Christ-like until the other side of eternity. That's when we get our sanctification certificate. Amen? Listen to what John Newton wrote. He said, I am not what I might be. I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I wish to be. I am not what I hope to be. But I thank God I am not what I once was. Amen. He continued and he said, And I can say with the great apostle, By the grace of God, I am what I am. Right, Charlie? How great is that? I am what I am. I am the work that God is doing in me. God is still working in us and on us. And we are growing in that grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ every day, or we should be, right? If we're staying in the Word and, and, and we're reading God's Word and, and we're coming to church and we're listening to the, to the message and we're doing our Bible studies, then we should be growing in grace every single day. We are progressively learning to be more and more like Christ. That's sanctification. That is that title. When we call ourselves a Christian, what does Christian mean? It means of Christ or like Christ. And we need to understand that is a very heavy title for us to hold. Of Christ, like Christ, a Christian. But that is sanctification. So that's what grace taught. Now let's consider what grace sought. When God saved us by his grace, and out of that, you know, his unconditional love for us, what was he... Um, what was he seeking for us? Think about that. What was he seeking for us? Let's go back to our original text. Titus 2. Skip down to verse 13. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own peculiar or special people, zealous for good works. Now, when you're looking at verses 13 and 14 together, as you read down in verse 14, it says, who gave himself for us that. That word that, we need to understand it means in order that. So when we read it correctly, Jesus who gave himself for us in order that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and that he might purify for himself his own peculiar special people that are zealous for good works. That is what God seeks in us. 
We understand that. That is what grace sought in order that. That is what God seeks in us and is doing for us. Amen? So here are some things that God's grace does for us. First and foremost, in verse 14, we see that we are purchased, who gave himself for us. Jesus purchased us with himself. Do we understand that? The magnitude of what that means? That we were purchased with himself on Calvary's cross. We see in 1 Peter chapter 1. Knowing that we were not redeemed with corruptible things, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? We weren't redeemed with corruptible things. We were redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. He purchased us with himself. Second thing that God has does for us. Not only are we purchased, but we are also purified. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed, talking about sin, and purify for himself. His own peculiar people, special people, redeemed us from every lawless deed. We are not saved just to go back to living the way we used to be, are we? Amen? We're not saved just to go backwards. God's grace not only saved us, but it also begins to purify us. Where? On the inside first. That's why sanctification is a progression. It starts inside and then works its way out to the outside. It starts in the heart first and then it works its way out into our actions, the way we, we live, the things we say. Yes, absolutely. God loves us unconditionally and that means he loves us just the way we are. But we have to understand he loves us way too much to leave us that way. Praise God for that. Amen. We are purified unto, he says, good works, to be, a, to be a people zealous for good works. Not to earn salvation, but we're talking after salvation. We are saved unto good works. It's not good works that saved us, but we are saved to do good works. Again, not to earn salvation, but simply out of our love to Jesus Christ for all that he has done for us. Amen. Thirdly, we are that peculiar people. To purify himself, his own peculiar people. That word peculiar means special, means chosen in Christ. Jesus went to Calvary. He defeated our enemies. He paid our sin debt. And he redeemed unto himself a peculiar, special, precious people. Amen? That is you and I. Grace brought salvation. It taught sanctification. And it seeks service. Amen? It seeks service. We are his special people, sanctified, set apart to serve him. How do we serve him? By serving each other. Amen? Serving each other. And I want to close this message this morning.
by considering what grace wrought. What does wrought mean? That's another word we hear a lot. It means worked out. Wrought means worked out. Verse 13, what did it work out? Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So grace worked out a blessed hope. Our blessed hope is in who? Jesus Christ. Amen? Plain and simple. What grace has begun in verse 11, for the grace of God that brings salvation appeared to all men, what grace begun in verse 11 will end in glory in verse 13, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We as Christians, we as born-again believers, we are looking forward to that glorious return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is our blessed hope. Now remember, Bible hope is a lot different from the hope we talk about in the world. Amen? Bible hope is guaranteed. There's no question about it. It's automatic. We didn't get to see Jesus ascend up to glory, did we? Maybe Lorraine might be, she might be old enough to have seen that. But other than Lorraine, maybe, you know, all of us, the rest of us, we weren't around to get to see our Lord and Savior ascend up to glory, did we? But our hope is to see his glorious return. Amen. We didn't get to see him ascend, but our hope is to get to see his glorious return. And the very one who opened unto us the gates of grace will be the very one who one day will open up those gates of glory. Arms open wide. This is God's amazing grace. No wonder John Newton declared, he said, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind. But now I see. God's amazing grace. The only question that remains is have you received that amazing grace through his son, Jesus Christ? 